Now, you know and I know there are many people who view work as a necessary evil, just generally speaking. They just think work is just a necessary evil. And it's like uh, some years ago, I saw a bumper sticker that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Well, that's just not correct. But even there are Christians, there are some Christian believers who mistakenly believe that work is a curse that is associated with Adam's sin and fall into sin. But if they really understand the Scripture, if they look at Genesis chapter 2 very carefully, they will discover that it is not so. In Genesis 2.15, before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned, here's what God said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work and take care of it. Before Adam's sin, before the fall, Adam was working in the garden, and that work was honorable, that work was healthy, that work was pleasurable. It was only after Adam and Eve have sinned that there were some changes in the environment of work. Not the work itself, but in the nature of the earth itself. Changes have taken place after sin. Changes in the weather, changes in crop failures, a changing of this whole environment change that took place after sin. But not the essence of work, not the very purpose for work. God created us to work. I'm going to show you one of the things that makes us truly created in God's own image. Work is never a curse, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I'm personally convinced that the believers in heaven, they're not going to be sitting on clouds uh, harping on something, but (laughs) they'll be working in heaven. Here's a historical fact. When the Christian faith burst into the scene in the pagan Roman Empire, Christians elevated the status of honest work, of hard work. That was not known in pagan Rome. The Greek or Roman culture viewed physical labor as beneath their dignity. And so what they did, they imported the Roman Empire, imported two million slaves. They did everything. And we talk about slaves in the Bible, the teachers, doctors, they imported everybody. By contrast, the Bible from cover to cover teaches hard work. Hard work, productivity, investments, ownership, job creation, honest profit and prosperity are all honorable and consistent with the righteousness of God. But there's even more. When we work, we imitate God. We imitate God and bring glory to Him. God, the Bible said, worked for six days and then rested on the seventh day. Question, why does our imitation of God bring Him glory? I'm going to tell you, because when we are industrious, creative, productive, we reflect the character of God in our lives. Amen? Conversely, those who are able to work can work, but refuse to work. They are not only dishonoring themselves, but they're dishonoring the Creator. And that is why those who support so-called social justice movement or redistribution of wealth are not biblical Christians. They're not biblical Christians. 
the folks who want to tax work and productivity while subsidizing indolence and dependence are not biblical Christians. In fact, in our passage here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see this very, very clear, verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ, we command you. What? To keep away from every brother, that's believer, obviously a brother is a believer, who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. See, Paul is invoking no less than the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Now, here's a simple principle that you should always remember, okay? Just write it down. What you tax, you get less of. You got that? What you tax, you get less of. What you subsidize, you get more of. Very simple, right? Simple? Do I need to explanify it more? I will. (laughs) When you tax work and productivity and punish work and productivity, you get less work and productivities. And when you subsidize laziness, dependence, you get more laziness and dependence. In other words, you're destroying the God-given likeness of God in us as His creation. Because God honoring industriousness is stamped on our being who are created in God's own image. Genesis 1.31, God saw all He had made and was very good. It was very good. God was pleased with His handiwork. He was pleased with the fruit of His labor. God, as the landlord of creation, took delight in his ownership of the created universe. Please listen to me carefully. The social engineers, with their social gospel, in a desire to be liked by the prevailing culture, they're dishonoring God and the Word of God. Just to inflate their egos, they want to appear to this fallen culture as though they are more compassionate than God. (laughs) And yet, God is the one who created the natural order, and that natural order says, reward creativity and punish laziness. Listen to me. Everyone gets a trophy. Is Marxist ideology not biblical Christianity? It is the height of folly to try to spin God's natural order and invert God's system of prosperity and fulfillment. Here's a summary of a biblical view of work. Listen carefully. I'm going to give you a summary. Here's a truly biblical view of work. Whether you are an employer or an employee, you must take ownership of your work. Did you get that? You must take ownership of your work. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for whom? The Lord. Not your human boss. To the Lord. 
you're ultimately working for the real boss <laughs> who sees you 24-7. 24-7, he's watching you. And when you understand this, you will work with absolute integrity and honesty. You will not shortcut because you are working for yourself and first and then for the Lord. Because in the long run, God is the one who truly rewards you. God is the one who truly can reward you and faithfully reward you and reward your diligent faithfulness. When you take ownership in your work, whatever it may be, whether in the factory floor, in the office, wherever you are, when you take ownership, when you see your work from God's perspective, then and only then you receive satisfaction. You receive fulfillment. You receive contentment. And beloved, satisfaction, contentment is all gift of God. Gift of God. And that's also why if when your earthly boss, your human boss, unfairly treats you, you can be at peace. You can be at peace because your real boss sees everything. He knows everything. And he is the only one who can reward you accordingly. Paul could confidently say, verse 10, 310, 2 Thessalonians, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. <laughs> I know that somebody is going to say, Michael, this is harsh. <laughs> this is unloving. I said the emotional basket case culture, that's, that operates on feelings. <laughs> Harsh. They're more kind than God. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but, but listen, this is truly the height of love. It is the height of love. Sometimes the worst thing you can do for some people is to shower them with compassion, is to meet all of their needs, is to solve all of their problems. Why? Because you are replacing God and their dependence on God. Let me hasten to say, this does not mean, it does not mean, I want you to not miss this, don't miss this. <laughs> it does not mean that there are not people who have genuine needs. I want to keep emphasizing this because I don't want anybody to walk outside and say, Michael hates the poor. Huh? <laughs> In the church of Thessalonica, obviously there were some who were lazy and unproductive, some who were freeloading on the hardworking people. And the believers in that church were feeding these freeloaders <laughs> Sadly, uh, I would say very sadly, in our culture, the government takes care of that. Every Sunday we pray for our leaders. But by nature, governments, that's all governments, love to replace God and the church. All governments. Ask yourself the question, why the system failed Twenty trillion dollars later, since the day Johnson said, President Johnson said, the Great Society. 
20 trillion dollars have been spent. We're still failing. Because governments, all governments, do not love people. Governments are set by God to exercise justice. Governments love to control people. Governments love to make people dependent on them. (laughs) Governments are not interested in people having dignity or self-respect or self-esteem. That's not their interest. Ah, but the church of Jesus Christ does. The believers do. And we want to help people to have dignity and to have self-worth and self-respect and self-esteem. Beloved, listen to me. The goal of any church discipline should be repentance and redemption, period. And that is why Paul uses the power of example. He said, verses 7 and 8, he said, When I was with you, I wasn't idle. I had to work. And you saw how I lived. The example of Christians is very important. Listen, I cannot preach to my kids growing up at the time, you know, good work ethics when I'm lazing off and putting my feet up. Beloved, I believe with all my heart that we can witness with our lives as much as we witness with our words. Let me repeat what I said earlier. (laughs) The absolute necessity of helping the true needy. Please, if you got this, say amen. amen. The welfare system started and was created by the government for that purpose. In fact, it was supposed to be a safety net for the true needy, not a hammock for the true lazy. In the last message, we saw how the apostles' burden for the church was stability. Remember that? Stability? It's always been the burden of the apostle Paul, and you see it in all his writings. Stability and harmony in the church was very important to the apostle Paul. And that is why he writes here, verses 11 and 12, he says, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Disruptive. There are not busy working, but busy bodies. Such people we command, not suggest, <laughs> command, and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. I love the contrast. The English translators who did this did a fabulous job, because I love the contrast between the busy and the busybodies. <laughs> I love that. People who are busy working, they do not have time to be disruptive and divisive in the body of Christ. Lazy people seem to have all the time in the world (laughs) to go around sowing discord, spreading gossips, and making nuisance of themselves. And that, my beloved friends, causes destabilization in the church. Another way that these idle folks bring dishonor to the church of Jesus Christ is that they make it difficult for the church to distinguish between the truly needy and the one who are not. We are called, this might be the fourth time I've said this, okay? (laughs) We are called to give with generosity to those who cannot care for themselves. Finally, the Apostle Paul uses a terminology here that we have completely disavowed in our modern-day culture. That's because we're confused. We, We are very confused regarding the concept of shame. The word shame is mentioned here deliberately by the apostle. Verse 14, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. 
I want to explain this to you in a way that you must understand it. What we have done, because we don't like that word, we threw the baby with the bathwater and made the word to be bad. But you know what? Really, there is a good reason why it's negative. There's a good reason why this word is a negative word, and I'm going to tell you why. It is tragic. It is tragic when children or even adults become emotionally paralyzed due to what I call toxic shame. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Especially shame that they do not deserve. Especially shame that was inflicted on them by abusers. Let me give you a personal opinion. I think those who abuse children should face the death penalty. No appeals, no appeals. But having the capacity to feel shame, even when it's between you and the Lord, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. There are times when I'm even alone, when I, I blurt something, if I'm watching something, and, and, and I, I'll, say, I'll stop. I said, Lord, I'm so embarrassed that I even come out of my mouth. And if I say it in front of people, I immediately <laughs> tell them that, and I repent. Because I'm ashamed that I would even allow my mind and words come out of my mouth like that. But if it leads to repentance, it's a healthy shame, not toxic shame. When Adam and Eve sinned, what they realized that they were naked, what they tried to do, they covered up their sin. It didn't work. Sin only has one cure, and that is confession and repentance. One cure to sin, all sin. Verse 15, you do not regard these as enemies, but warned him as a brother. Love, genuine love, real love, biblical love, has to be our ultimate motive. It has to be our ultimate motive, nothing else. In Galatians 6.1, Paul said, if someone who's caught in sin that person is to be restored gently. Sadly, there are many legalistic churches, of which I know some, who would shoot their wounded, and they shoot their wounded instead of restoring them gently. It is loving restoration that we must, must, must long for and practice. Why? Because just as we rejoice in the fact that our Heavenly Father forgave us all our sins when we repent, when we repent. Now, if a person does not repent and is not repentant, it's a whole different ballgame. We want them to rejoice when we forgive them, just as we rejoice in our own forgiveness when we repent. Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef. Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Learn more about the global ministry of Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way by visiting ltw.org. That's ltw.org.